All right. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. It's 1122. If we get started now, we can be out by one. Everybody have a good week. <clears throat> Amy and I and, and some of our kids went to the beach for a couple days. And on Friday, we had 78 degrees and sunny on the beach. So we were thankful for that. And we came back to Charlotte, and it's freezing cold. So you just never know in the month of April. Hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we stand up real quick together, just stretch our legs, and... Uh, Enter into a moment of prayer with each other. Father, we thank you that you sent the word made flesh. You sowed the seed of Jesus into the world. And God, for that work, we are forever grateful and we're thankful. And we just want to enter into this moment created by you. For the foundation of the world was made. You knew about this moment. And Father, the thing is this, that your kingdom demands a response from us. So I pray for our hearts to be made woke this morning. Awaken us this morning, Jesus, to what the Spirit is saying. And give me a lot of strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, please open it to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. We're going to talk about the parable of the sower today, which is found in the three synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three gospels tend to mirror each other the most. And then the witness of the gospel of John, it sits a little bit different. But I want to start in the gospel of John because the first part of this chapter is important to how we're going to interpret the parable of the sower that we're going to find in the book of Matthew. All right. I forgot to turn there. Here we go. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world. And I'm sorry. He was in the world and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. I'm sorry, that word was though. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John testifies concerning him, and he cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he is, was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So the thing that I'd like to point out from that passage is that anytime we see in the, in the scriptures in the New Testament anything about the word, we're talking about not the actual written Bible, but we're talking about who? We're talking about Jesus the word made flesh. All right? So today we're going to talk about the parable of the sower. And I feel a little bit scared this morning because I've been, I've been studying this particular parable for probably, well, for a really long time, but pretty intensely the last six or eight weeks. And um, I don't know... If you're like me, it takes, it takes me a while to come to some understandings when I'm reading the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible and you just think to yourself, I have no idea what was just said? Or am I the only one, okay? And a lot of times we read the Bible and we're tired of it or we're bored of it, not because the Bible doesn't have anything new to say, but because we bring to it assumptions that we already know. Okay? And assumptions are dangerous because, well, they're familiar to us, right? A lot of times we kind of, well, I don't know. I'm just being honest with you. I avoid the Bible a lot of times because I'm weary of my current understandings of what the scripture has to say. And sometimes I need help. A lot of the times I need help from the spirit of God to free me from my existing assumption, from my existing mindset, in order to take me into the new and fresh place that he has for me. See, it's a big mistake that we make as individuals and as a church corporate to think that we already know everything that God has to say. Bill Johnson says it this way, that God will never contradict his word, but he will definitely contradict your understanding of the word. And I'm telling you, that is the greatest place to be. To wake up one day and find out that everything that you thought was true about God no longer holds true. Now, that's a dangerous place. It's a little bit disconcerting. Especially if you've had an idea about something for 30 or 40 years and then you wake up and the very thing that you built your whole life on is challenged. What do you do? I would like to propose to you today that that place is the best place you could ever be in your life. As scary as that feels, as, 
as much as that feels like getting out of the boat and walking in on the water into places that you've, you have no grid for, the thing that that does for you is it causes you to no longer rely on your understanding of God, but it causes you to rely on the Lord himself, which is a much greater place to be. So in the parable of the sower, uh, before I get into that, I'm just going to say this. The thing about parables is you might think you know what a parable means. Uh, you might have a better revelation of it than I do. That's probably so. But t- today, the way I'm thinking of the word parable is it's just a comparison. Jesus spends a whole lot of time in the New Testament saying things like this. The kingdom of God is like the kingdom of God is like the kingdom of heaven is like. He's comparing things because the thing that he's trying to get you to see is ineffable. It's something that he's having trouble putting into words. So he has to compare to something that we know already. Here's what a parable isn't. It's not taking a complex idea and making it simple so that you can understand it. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that a parable was meant to bring light and clarity and to make everything make more sense to those who heard the parable? The Bible account says the exact opposite is true, in fact. Jesus is telling these parables and his disciples are saying, why are you talking in riddles like this? And he says, well, because I don't want anybody to understand what I'm saying. Now, you would make a mistake if you were reading that passage and going, well, it's a good thing I'm not like those people over there who are listening to these parables and not understanding. It would be better for you to read that passage and go, uh, not only, I, I am worse off than them because they at least had proximity to Jesus when they heard those words. I'm 2,000 years in the distance and I'm reading these from texts that I don't even understand. Lord, help me understand. That's actually the place that the Spirit of God wants to get you to. It's the place where you're reading and you don't understand. It's at that point when you go, oh, I understand. You don't go, I understand everything I'm reading. That's not what you do. You go, Lord, I understand nothing. Help me. And that's when the Spirit of God rushes in and begins to teach us, and he begins to show us things, and he begins to reveal us. He begins to take us to uncomfortable places. Are you with me so far? Okay, so prior to the parable of the sower, Jesus was a fantastic Messiah. He, He was doing fantastic things. He was going around healing the sick. He was exercising demons. He was doing miraculous stuff, but he was also doing other things, despicable things, like partying with tax collectors, hanging out with people that had committed adultery. He was forgiving people that committed adultery. He was a Sabbath breaker. I mean, prior to the the, the parable of the sower, Jesus not only broke the Sabbath once when he and his disciples were picking grain in the field, feeding themselves. But he had the audacity to heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. 
Here's the rub. We read in the scriptures how amazing Jesus was walking around, healing the sick and casting out demons. And we think, man, this is fantastic. I am riding this bandwagon all the way home. But the reality for him at the time was he was a very un-Messiah-like Messiah according to the Messiah experts of that day. The people who were in charge of the most important thoughts of that age were experts at what the kingdom of God was going to look like, and they were experts at what the Messiah was going to be when he showed up. And they were confused because this rabbi shows up and he starts doing all these miracles. But outside of that, he is the complete opposite of everything that they have read in the book of Moses and everything that they have given their lives to adhering to. He didn't even have to say anything and his life was an absolute critique of everything that they had been given their whole existence to. So in the time of Jesus, you had the experts of the law. You had the Pharisees. You had the Sadducees. You had the scribes. These were the people that were in charge of the thoughts that we were thinking. But they were not the only ones. Those people were controlling the subculture. They were controlling the land with what you could think. So Jesus was preaching. He was teaching He was talking about the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about the kingdom of God in ways that was the direct opposite of what the majority of people were expecting. Are you with me so far? So he comes saying things like the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Everybody's looking around. He says, the kingdom of God is near you. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he had done some pretty great miraculous things. But they were still looking around, waiting for the white horse and the sword and the army. He went as so far as to say, the kingdom of God is within you. That's crazy talk. That sounds like a new age guru. He was confronting the mindsets of that day and age. But I'm here to tell you that that same Jesus is confronting your mindsets and my mindset that we're living in in this day and age. And there are mindsets that are keeping us from grasping the mystery of the kingdom of God because we are holding on to things that are plausible instead of letting go of those things and trading them in for the things of God, the kingdom of God, which is mysterious. So here comes Jesus And he's saying, hey, guys, the kingdom of God is already here. See, for most people, when they heard the phrase, the kingdom of God, they saw 
a militarily executed theocratic state creating a kingdom for the chosen few. And Jesus shows up and he's saying the exact opposite. He's saying the kingdom of God is already here. And I'm putting out the invitation for as many people as would have ears to hear and would respond. He was an offense to their mindsets because he was opening the door to the kingdom of God to those that were past being religious experts. They were tax collectors. They were harlots. They were con men. They were the lowest of the low. And here is Jesus befriending all of these people making room for them at his table. If you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him and he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still... Other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? In, in Mark and Luke, it says, what is the meaning of this parable? Jesus replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see in their eyes, with their eyes, and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, because your eyes they see, and your ears Because they hear, for I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. All right, I'm going to stop there right now. You know, it's not bad for Christians to read large portions of Scripture together, amen? So Jesus makes a couple of very startling statements in this passage, and I would like to try to clear them up for you. When the disciples ask Jesus why he's talking this way, and he says, 
Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. I would like to say it this way. You can read that and you can get real scared because when I read this passage of scripture, I do not understand what Jesus is saying. So it startles me when I hear that those seeing they do not see. That, that, that gets me a little bit afraid. But Jesus isn't making a prescriptive comment here. He's describing what is. Jesus is a person who is surrounded by a level of obtuseness around him. Everywhere he goes, he's got this secret about the mystery of the kingdom of God, and he's trying to give it away, but he's surrounded by people who can't pick up what he's laying down. Because the nature of the kingdom that he is talking about is running the opposite direction of the kingdom that they have in their minds. In fact, the parable is a device of confrontation. It's not a cute little story. He's actually using it to bring people to the place where they can see and feel the weight of the lack of their own understanding. What's interesting about this passage in Matthew is that he says to the disciples, you're the blessed ones. These people over here, they don't really understand what I'm saying. But the truth of the matter is, after Jesus says to the disciples, you are blessed because I'm about to reveal to you the secrets of the kingdom of God, they were still as mystified as anybody. In fact, it it gets a little bit redundant because Jesus allegorizes the sower. He says, okay, okay. All right, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to explain to you what this means. And and this is probably familiar to most of us. But he says this. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, what I like to do is I would like to take that parable and give you my current interpretation of what that parable means using John 1 as an interpretive tool. Because this is how I was raised when I heard this, okay? The seed that is sown in the parable of the sower is 
the Bible. And the world is missing the Bible. And it's my job to go everybody, go, go everywhere and let people know the word of God. But that is not what the parable is really saying according to John chapter 1. If you look at it this way, that Jesus is the word made flesh. There are four situations in the parable, on the road, on rocky soil, among thorns and among and in good soil. Here's what I would like to propose. <laughs> Father God is the sower. The world is the road, the rocky ground, the thorns, and the good soil. And Jesus is the seed sown. And according to this parable, Jesus is sown throughout the whole world. There is nowhere in the world that he doesn't already exist. There is nowhere in the world that he isn't already present. There is nowhere in the world that the kingdom of God is not present, near, at hand, within you, made manifest, ready to break forth in blossom and spring. And your part in that is to announce that. Your part is to announce the good news that Jesus, the word made flesh, has been planted, is constantly, continually doing the mysterious work of the kingdom. And our job as believers is to announce the good news that Jesus, the word made flesh, is the author and the finisher of our faith. Is everybody okay? Whoever has more will be given. Whoever has more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This is my theory on that. When I become an expert at the kingdom of God, I lose my grasp and ability to actually understand what he is doing. But when I get low, when I become like a little child, when I confess and admit my current lack of understanding, I actually give myself the ability to grasp the mystery of the kingdom. Laying hold of the kingdom is actually the exact opposite of what you would normally expect. 
You cannot have a plausibility loving mind and embrace the kingdom. You have to have a mind that is embracing the mysteriousness of the kingdom. And it's so interesting because, I mean, Jesus said the craziest things to us and we miss it. I, I've spent my whole life missing what Jesus has said to me. He said, unless you become like a little child, unless you become less of an expert that you are currently, by no means will you gain access to the kingdom. By no means will you grasp the mysteries of the kingdom. I had a friend... um Send me this article this week. Oh man, I forgot to write the quote down. It was so good. But we use that word mystery and, and it's like the idea of the quote was well, I can't really remember it so it doesn't matter. Let me say it to you this way. I feel like the Spirit of God is wetting our appetites. And we're creeping in to the wide open spaces of the greatness of knowing Jesus. In a way that our current understanding of Scripture is not going to keep us from. I believe that the Lord wants to engage with us and teach us his ways in a way that will blow our minds. It will make our Christianity stop being boring. It will make our Bible reading stop being boring. It will make our daily life with Jesus stop being boring. Because the Lord wants to take us into places that are good and joyful and rich and robust. And he wants to take us into places where we can actually activate our faith and walk out into places that we've never been before. Amy and I were talking this week about how we're we're kind of in this age Now, we're in middle age. We're smack dab in the middle of middle age. And what we have realized is that the last few years, we've been hitting our heads up against a wall of revelation. And 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 it's, it's felt like this. It's like early on, we got this idea about the Lord and, and it was, it was this wide. And man, we rode that thing for all it was worth. We were so thankful for the revelation of the Lord that he gave us or that we were given. And we we took that thing and we wrote it as far as possible. But one day you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, all the thoughts that I had about God up until this point for the last five years are not working anymore. But I love Jesus so much, I don't want to give up on my faith. I've been walking with him for so long I've got so much skin in the game now. There's really no turning back, Lord, because where else can I go? You alone have the words of life. But I keep looking at my understanding of this the scripture as the words of life, and there's no life there, Father. So we were just saying to each other, isn't it so crazy how what worked yesterday no longer works today? Why is that, Lord? He's he's because that's how the spirit moves. That's how the spirit works. 
That is how the Holy Spirit of God works. He's moving us from one glory to the next glory, to the next glory and to the next glory. And the things that worked for you last year are not going to work for you today. But the, the way to get into what God has for you today is to put on what God did for you yesterday up on the altar and let it burn. Or dig a grave and throw it in there. I don't know how all that works. But there's this part of letting go that is that you cannot deny. Gosh, everybody okay? To me, that understanding of the parable of the sower is a game changer. Because I think for most of my life, I've been waiting for the Lord to descend from on high, down below, in order for everything to change. And the problem with that mindset is that you're always waiting for a future event to happen in order to engage in the work of the kingdom. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus said and did. He said, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is at hand, and the kingdom is within you. Think about that for a second. When Jesus was telling people, the kingdom is within you, he was talking to unchristian people. He was talking to people that hadn't been saved yet. So that's a deal changer for me because what it really does for me is it allows me to have eyes that see everywhere I go, everywhere I walk around the city of Charlotte, I see this is God's city. And I see unredeemed people through redemptive eyes. And I can say to people that have no knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. And I'm here to announce the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But I don't have to be weird about it. I mean, you can be weird about it if you want. I mean, it's weird to follow Jesus. Honestly, If you're an actual Christian, you are part of a subculture of a subculture. I've spent my whole life just waiting for people to applaud me when I show up with my great revelation. I feel like if you're really doing this right, not many people are going to applaud you. But your city will change. Your family will change. Your life will change. I mean, forget your city. Forget your family. Your life will change. 
you will actually begin to encounter the Lord in a way that will put wind in your heart, peace in your heart, joy in your heart, and that will begin to overflow and overflow to the people around you. Amen? All right. Hopefully I've said like six things that you have no clue about and don't understand. But um, I really, I really pray that you were encouraged this morning. Let, let me, let me pray over you. And then I think Pastor Robin's going to come up and clean up my mess. Spirit of the living God, we just pray that you would fall afresh. And, and, and God, we, we confess right now how much expertise that we've been walking around with that has kept us from entering in to the mystery of your kingdom. And we pray right now, this week, in fact, that you would begin to let us have a grip, a beginning of grasping what it means to walk in fullness of knowing you. Lord, I pray that you would impart a divine grace to us this morning that would enable us and empower us to be people that are pursuing your kingdom with you, Jesus. We thank you for today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Andy. I'm a New King James Version guy. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Well, it's all my memory work, 50 years, King James to New King James, so I get stuck. Because I, I get mad at the Bible when I read a different version and it doesn't say what I'm used to it saying. <laughs> Wait a minute. Smash <laughs> me. But one of the things I thought about as Andy was, was sharing, you know, that whole, I don't know if you heard what he was saying about that passage out of Isaiah where it sounds like God's saying he doesn't want people to understand anything. But the thing that I saw, and I think Andy touched on this, and it comes out in the the, um, Passion Translation. How many of you heard of the Passion Translation? Brian Simmons wrote it. He's going to be here in May, which is going to be very cool. But one of the things he said was, The mysteries of heaven's kingdom realm are spiritual insights into the nature and ways of God. Jesus Christ can only be fully understood by the spirit, not merely by the intellect of man. Jesus taught his disciples using cryptic language of parables to move them beyond intellectual abilities and engage the spirit. If the listener had a hunger to learn, and this is what Andy was talking about, If the listener had a hunger to learn with an open, teachable heart, 
then Jesus' words brought life and understanding. But if they didn't, it made them harder. That was part of that, that, that hardness of heart. And um, one of the things, the idea Andy had, I think it was really good, of Jesus being that seed planted in the ground. I, I can't get away from that passage in the Gospel of John where Jesus heals a man born blind. And Andy mentioned this. Um, they were upset with Jesus because he healed uh, on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees didn't like that. That was against the Levitical law. But when they asked that man what happened to him, here's what he said. I met the man named Jesus. That, to me, is such a profound... We, we miss the fact that we can meet the man named Jesus. We miss the fact that if we have an open, teachable heart... The man named Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, will touch us and transform us. Uh, how many of you have read anything Jordan Peterson has written? Any of you? Yeah, he's a very interesting character. I don't know what category to put him in spiritually, but he's very interesting. You know that verse I used to read, and it, was, it said, He that has much will receive more. And what happens to the person who has little? They'll receive less, and I'm thinking, well, that's just not fair. Well, Jordan Peterson studied lobsters, say lobsters. And what they found out about lobsters, and they're in certain neurological ways and chemical ways similar to humans. And when a lobster stands up for himself in the right way and uses what he has, it releases strengthening, more noble, to put it in a different way, chemicals that makes him have more strength and more ability. But if they don't, it releases these other chemicals that make them weaker and weaker. And see, it's built into all of creation the necessity to have, number one, to get ahead an open and teachable heart. See, that's exactly what Andy's talking about. He's going through this process where he's, he's really saying to the Lord, and I can understand. I used, to, I remember the day I looked at the Bible and I said, I've read that. But you get that way because you've come to the end of the life of what God has really shown you. And so what Andy talks about this morning really touched me is this open, teachable heart, this open and teachable spirit. And so one of the aspects of the kingdom is this. If you don't use what you have, you will begin to diminish. But if you use what God puts in you, you will grow an increase. And Jordan Peterson recognizes it in lobsters. We recognize it in the New Testament. We don't think that's fair, but it's true. It's so important to take God seriously. Andy outlines the different kind of soil. 
three out of four soils aren't working. And I think it's because no matter what kind of soil you have, you can do something about it to bring it to the point where you can receive what Jesus says, and he'll do you good. So anyway, I'm all wired up. Probably said too much, but uh, too late now. Okay, we do have healing teams. We'd love to pray for you. We have prophetic teams that can uh, really identify awesome encouragement from the Lord, or if you need to be healed, we'll be glad to pray for that too. So God bless you folks. Andy, is there part two next week? Part two next week. Come on, it's going to be great. God bless you folks, and have a great week.